All right, if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and grab it. And uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 17. 1 Kings, chapter number 17 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, we're continuing our series entitled, One of Us. And uh, we're learning from the life of God's prophet named Elijah. And we're learning that God can use ordinary people for extraordinary purposes. And uh, I love Elijah's name. Uh, If you break Elijah's name up in three different parts, it's El, which means God. I, which is the personal pronoun pronoun for mine or my, and then Jah is Jehovah. And so Elijah's name literally means my God is Jehovah. You know, a lot of people's God today is money. A lot of people's God today is sex. A lot of people's God today is relationships or a variety of different things. I'm thankful that Elijah's name meant, hey, my God is Jehovah. My God is the one true living God, and I'm going to serve him for all of my days. And so we can learn a lot from Elijah, and, uh, and I'm excited about today what we're going to be studying in 1 Kings chapter 17. And the title of our message today is going to be Handle with Care. Handle with Care. Everybody say, handle with care. First Kings chapter 17. Let's start reading verse number 17. The Bible says this, And it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took, out, and he took him out of her bosom and carried him. Everybody say carried. carried. He carried him up into a loft where he abode. And he laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Aren't you thankful this morning that the Lord hears our prayers and he answers our prayers? And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Everybody say revived. There was a revival that took place. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that we could uh, uh, have a holy attention this morning on your word, on these verses in 1 Kings. Lord, I pray that we can learn from this, this story about how to handle each situation in life with care. And God, I know that there are people sitting in this room this morning that are going through an extreme difficulty. Maybe they're bearing a heavy burden. And Lord, I pray that today could be uh, a comfort and an encouragement to them. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can just all glean something from your word this morning. Thank you for uh, the worship that we've already had. God, thank you for uh, the price that you paid on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. God, thank you for allowing us to be in this country where we can come and worship you freely and come and study your word freely. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would not take that for granted. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. How many of you have ever held a brand new newborn 
baby. Can I see your hands? A brand new newborn baby. I'm talking about the day that they were born. You've held that baby, right? And I don't know if you're like me. It kind of takes a little bit of getting used to to hold a brand new baby, right? And I remember uh, when our first daughter, Liv, was born and uh, Katie had an emergency C-section. It was kind of scary, and so uh, she was on a lot of medication, and when Liv was born, they did not let Katie hold uh, the baby for a few hours, and so I was given that responsibility, and I was given that task to hold the baby the first few hours that she was born, and I remember uh, kind of uh, struggling and trying to learn how to handle and how to hold this, th- this newborn baby, and I was using two hands, and I was taking this job very seriously, and for, for about two hours, I held Liv when she was born, and I did not move a muscle. I wanted to just stay as still as possible, and, and nurses and doctors were coming in, and they were asking me to hand them things and do things, and I was like, excuse me, (laughs) like, I don't know if you can uh, tell, but I'm holding precious cargo right now, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to move. Uh, How many of you have ever uh, been handed a newborn baby, and you've kind of gone through that awkward exchange? How many of you know what I'm talking about, where it's like, you sure you got the head, you got the head, you got got to go, okay, 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 you know, you know, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking passing uh, a newborn baby off, and it takes a little bit of time to learn how to handle and to hold a newborn baby. In life, I've learned that it's very important to learn how to handle what's been handed to you. It's very important to learn how to handle what's been handed to you. And uh, Drew, if you can hand me this package this morning. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, you like to receive packages. How many of you like to receive packages? Yes, it's kind of fun whenever you order something and in the mail a few days later you get a package, right? And uh, I always enjoy a package even more when it comes with uh, a sticker like this. Fragile, please handle with care because then I think, wow, something important uh, might be uh, in this box. And so uh, I always like it when I receive a package that that has this label on it, handle with care. You know, in life we're going to be handed all sorts of situations. Sometimes life is going to hand us some blessings, And maybe God has given you some resources, and God wants us to handle that with care. Sometimes God is going to hand us some opportunities, and he's going to want us to use those opportunities for his further glory. And then there are going to be those times in life where we are handed a season of difficulty. We're going to be handed a season of trial, a burden. And when life hands you hardship, be very careful how you handle it. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about how we can handle what's been handed to us. How we can handle whatever situation you might be in life, whether it's a season of blessing, whether it's a season of, uh, of scarcity or a season of drought or a season of trial. Whatever has been handed to you, I want to encourage you this morning to handle that situation with care. The Bible says this in uh, the book of James, chapter 1, verse number 12. It says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. That word temptation is the Greek word parasmos. It means trial or proving. And so we've got to endure that trial. We've got to handle that trial. For when he is tried, he shall receive. Everybody say receive. He, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. See, there is a reward waiting on the other side of your hardship if you handle it with care. Depending on how you handle the situation that's been handed to you, there is a reward that you can receive if you handle those trials and those difficulties with grace. And so this morning I want to ask you this question, how are you handling what's been handed to you? Maybe it's a season of blessing, maybe you've been given a new opportunity, maybe it's a season of trial or difficulty, but are you handling it in a way that gives glory to God? 
I remember when I was in college, there was uh, one summer where I was interning at church, and, and uh, on Saturdays at my church, there was uh, this large bus ministry where they would go out on buses, and they would go to uh, areas in the community that were poor and needy, and people that uh, did not have a ride to church, and we would bring them in on Saturdays, and we would uh, preach the gospel to them, and, and I remember one summer, I was interning in, and the person that was teaching the 7th and 8th grade boys bus class uh, had to go home for the summer, and so someone just kind of handed me that position. And I had never taught a class before. I had certainly never taught uh, seventh and eighth grade boys before. And, and, and these, these kids came from kind of rough backgrounds and rough situations. And I remember kind of just getting handed this position. And I went in there, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I went in there, and I started teaching, and they would not listen. It did not matter what I would try to do or what I was talking about. They, they would uh, just break out and fight sometimes. And right in the middle, I'm teaching about Jesus, and the kids were just punching each other. And, and it would be so bad that one time, true story, the police had to come and break up a fight in my seventh and eighth grade boys bus class class. And I remember being so discouraged after that class, I went and I sat in my car and I was thinking, honestly, I can't handle this. Like, I thought that to my, I can't handle this. Like, this is, this is above my pay grade. Like, I did not know uh, how to handle this class. And to make matters worse, there was a helper uh, in my class. And I say helper because he wasn't much of a help. He kind of just sat in the back and, and was on his phone the whole time. But, but I remember my helper was telling some other people and t- telling some of his friends, he said, you know, I don't think Matt, I don't think he really can handle that class. And uh, someone went and told me that. And I was thinking, thanks a lot. You know, like, first I'm already discouraged. Like, I don't think I can handle it. And then someone else says, I don't think Matt can handle it. And I was kind of discouraged about that. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you thought, I don't really know how to handle this situation? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right, where there's certain seasons and certain moments in life where it's like, how do I handle what's been handed to me? And we come to 1 Kings chapter 17, and it's a very interesting and unique time in Scripture because we've seen over the last several weeks that God had been providing for Elijah, right? First through the ravens, he's providing miraculous meals, and he's taking care of him. And then Elijah crosses the desert, and he arrives in Zarephath, and there's a, a, a widowed woman, and she's there, and Elijah talks to her, and, and he says, what do you have? And she says, I just got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and two sticks. And, and Elijah takes that, and through the power of God, there's this miraculous miracle where it never runs out. And so God is uh, providing for them in the midst of a famine, and things are going great. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the widow woman's son dies. And it seems like it's the most unusual timing, right? God had just provided for them. God, they had just stepped out by faith. Things were going great. God provided for them. Things were going well. And then all of a sudden, her son dies. And they were handed this trial. And it was devastating, as you can imagine. It was very difficult. But it's in this moment, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24, it's in this moment that Elijah gives us a great template on how to handle what's been handed to us. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk about a few reminders of what to do and what to remember when we're handed a season of difficulty or a season of trial. And so if you're taking notes this morning, let's, let's jot a couple things down. Number one, we've got to understand and we've got to remember that pain often clouds our judgment. Pain often clouds our judgment. Have you ever noticed that we will say and do the most uncharacteristic things in the midst of adversity? I'm going to leave this up so we can see it a little bit better. When this trial arrived in this woman's life, she responds with kind of an interesting reaction. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore, everybody say so sore, that there was no breath left in him. And so we see, first of all, uh, her burden. She had this intense 
burden that she had to carry and this burden that she had to bear. She was going through an extremely difficult moment. This was not, uh, her, this was not just a son. This was her only son. Her husband had already died and she'd gone through a lot in her life and, and now she's wondering why is this happening to me and she's bearing this burden and it's very, uh, a very difficult season and this was completely unpredictable. She knew the drought was coming, but she didn't know death was coming. And isn't that how it is sometimes in our lives that we can foresee some trouble, we can foresee some uh, adversity that's going to come, but then there are some things that come out of nowhere. Right? There are some things that completely surprise us and take us off guard. And what's so interesting about this moment is that this, this, this difficulty and this trial came right after this woman was stepping out by faith. Right after Elijah said, hey, are you going to put me first? Are you going to trust me? And she says, I don't know. This is all I have left. And she gave everything that, everything that she had and she obeyed God. And then what happened? Her son dies. And she's thinking, why now? I, I was obeying you. I, I, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And now this trial came to me. And sometimes we have this misconception that if we're obeying and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, then somehow that's going to exempt us from adversity. When there is no spiritual exemption for adversity. In fact, the Bible says this. In, in Psalm chapter 34, verse number 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And sometimes we think that if we're on the right path doing what we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to do, then life is just going to be easy street. There's going to be no problems. When the reality is that sometimes walking by faith means you're going to walk towards the fire. We're going to be going into seasons of difficulty. And that's why uh, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. And sometimes when trials are handed to us and when difficult seasons are handed to us, we don't handle them with care sometimes because they're out of left field. And we think, where did this come from? And we're not prepared for it. And so this, this widowed woman is thinking, why now? And so we see her burden, but, but watch her blame in verse number 18. Watch what she does. Verse 18 says this, And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? What do I have to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She, she blames the man of God. She says, Elijah, what do I have to do with you? Why is this happening to me? And she's not really thinking clearly because often pain clouds our judgment. Because if she would recall that she had just experienced this miracle of multiplication where she had meals, over 3,000 meals we talked about last week that God had just handed to her and provided for her. And now she's blaming the man of God who was the means of the miracle which she experienced. Elijah must have been thinking, what? Why is she blaming me? Does she not remember that I just did this wonderful miracle and provided for her? But now she's starting to shift the blame and she's starting to point fingers and she's very upset. And a lot of times when we're going through a season of pain or, or, or through a season of difficulty, that will cloud our judgment and we'll start to think some uncharacteristic things that we shouldn't be thinking. I remember when I was in college, I was playing basketball and uh, we had this one particular practice where uh, we were running these uh, 20 and twos, they're called. We got to run down the court and back 20 times and you have to do it in two minutes and it's extremely difficult uh, to do unless you're in very good shape. And so we were doing these and we were doing a lot of them and our coach was kind of in a bad mood and he was saying, all right, get on the line, 20 and two, get on the line, 20 and two. And I remember I, I played sports my whole life and uh, I've never really been sick because of running or something like that. But for this, on this particular day, I remember feeling pretty sick. And uh, I remember that last 20 and two that we did, I ran uh, uh, straight through the, through the end line, and I didn't even stop, and I went straight into the bathroom. I remember I felt so sick because we were just running and running and running. I did something that I wouldn't normally do. I, I went to the toilet, and I felt so sick, and I didn't even have the energy to keep my head up that I, that I laid my head on the toilet seat. 
Now, typically, that's not something that I would normally do, right? Like, I've never put my head on a toilet seat before that or since then. That's not something that is kind of in my routine, you know, to go into a bathroom put my head on the toilet seat. But my, my feelings made me do something that I wouldn't normally do, right? And a lot of times when we're feeling pain, when we're feeling emotion and difficulty, we'll do some things that we wouldn't normally do. Why? Because pain clouds our judgment, Elijah was the man of God. It was because of him that she was even surviving the famine. And now she's pointing the blame at him saying, why would you do this to me? She blames Elijah, but then then she blames her own sin. Look look at what she says in verse 18. She says, and she said unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Philip Keller, he said this. When suffering or sorrow suddenly engulfs us like a flood, we often quickly forget the goodness of our friends, our family, even our God. In self-pity and hurt, we lash out against whoever is near at hand. We heap abuse upon husband or wife, parent or child, friend or neighbor, and the tirade innocent bystanders bear the brunt of our abuse. A lot of times when we are going through a difficult season, we're hurting those people around us because hurting people often hurt people. And so first she's pointing the blame at Elijah, saying, this is your fault. And then she says, is it because of my own sin? Are you come here to point out something that I've done wrong? And, and she's saying, is this because of my own sin? Now, we know that not every trial is because of sin, right? Now, now some difficulties we experience are because of wrong choices and because of sin, right? Like if you go out and, and max out all your credit cards and you spend money that you don't have and, and then something happens like your house is taking, taken away or something like that, that was probably a result of your poor decision making, right? But not every trial that we experience is the result of sin. And that's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 9 when they experienced, the disciples came and they experienced the blind man there in John chapter 9 and it says this, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the disciples, they they thought they had it figured out. They saw a blind man, and they said, Jesus, who who sinned? Why is this man blind? Was it because of something he did, or was it because of something that his parents did? They thought that this trial was a direct result of sin. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, And he says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, watch this, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This trial was not the result of sin. This trial was for the purpose and for the glory of God so that God could be made manifest in him so that God uh, could get the glory. There was purpose in his pain. Can I tell you this morning, there is purpose in your pain. You don't always see it. We don't always understand it, but God has a reason. God has a purpose for your situation. God never wastes a trial. And sometimes your pain is simply a platform for the glory of God. And so she says, was it because of my sin? You know, why is this terrible thing happening to me? And she's not completely thinking clearly. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. Everybody say not worthy. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. When difficult seasons come into your life, let me encourage you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't, don't, don't start shifting the blame and pointing the problem out in other people's lives. Just keep your eyes focused on Jesus and ask him, what are you trying to teach me through this difficulty? And so pain often clouds our judgment. Notice the second thought this morning. The second reminder when we're handed hardship is this. A broken heart should be mended softly. A broken heart should be mended softly. And I love how 
Elijah handles these accusations in this adversity? He really handles it in two ways. He first handles it uh, by being calm. Notice what he does in verse number 19. And he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, and he carried him up into the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And what I find interesting about Elijah's response is that he doesn't really respond to the accusations that were made against him. He remains silent. Now, Elijah had every right to be like, listen, woman, I provided, I I helped you for the past three years. I I prayed and and God did a great work and I've been here to help you. I've been, I've been blessing you to the best of my ability. And for you to blame me, that's just, you, you need to get right with God. You need to repent. You're in the wrong. He could have done that. He had a right to. She was in the wrong. But Elijah knew that he had to handle this situation with care. He knew that he had to be gentle. And he knew that somehow nothing he could say to her was going to really soothe her right now. And I think it's interesting that Elijah does not even go into some theological discussion about the sovereignty of God and how all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. He does not go into a deep discussion right now about how, hey, God's got a plan. And he could have done that as well. But he just stays silent. You know, sometimes it's not even about what you have to say. It's just about your presence being there with someone through a time of difficulty. He just remains calm. The Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Sometimes the best thing you could do for a hurting person, someone with a broken heart, someone that's going through a difficulty, the best thing you can do to handle it with care is just to be there and just to listen to them and, and let them know that you love them. Sometimes we, if you're like me, sometimes you wonder, what do I say to a hurting person? Or, or if I'm hurting, what do I say? How do I articulate this? Sometimes you just need to be there and you just need to listen and let them know that you love and care about them. And Elijah stays calm. He stays gentle. But also he was compassionate. I love what he does in verse number 19. If you're with me, say yes. yes. Verse number 19. And he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and he carried. Everybody say carried. carried. He carried him. What a great act of compassion. Elijah doesn't say a whole lot. He just says, give me your son. And what does he do? He carries him. He's literally carrying her burden. He's saying, I don't know exactly all the answers that you need right now. I don't know exactly how to soothe uh, what you're going through. But let me just go ahead and help you and demonstrate compassion by carrying your burden. A lot of times when it comes to the church, we want to know what's in it for me. Um, How can the church bless me? when a lot of times we need to be thinking, how can I help carry the burden of someone else? When it comes to the body of Christ, are you a consumer or are you a carrier? Are you a consumer? What's in it for me? How can this church help me? What what classes do you have to offer me? Or are you willing to step alongside alongside someone that's hurting and someone that's broken and say, hey, I want to help you carry your burden? And Elijah gives this great demonstration, this great example that I'm going to show compassion and I'm going to show uh, comfort and I'm going to help carry your burden. Now, Elijah did not understand completely why this was happening. We'll see that in just a moment. He, he didn't quite get it. He even asked God, God, you know, what's up? Why, why is this happening? But he still carried the burden. And the truth is sometimes you have to carry what you can't comprehend. So sometimes you have to be willing to carry something that you don't fully understand why it's happening, but you can still demonstrate compassion in, in that moment. Now, watch what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Aren't you thankful today that we worship the God of all comfort? A lot of people try to find comfort in all sorts of places, but the true source of satisfaction and comfort is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the God of all comfort. 
Come on, we can get a little more excited about that. God is the God of all comfort. Come on, does anybody believe that this morning, that we worship a God that can uh, provide satisfaction and comfort in our time of need? He's the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so God will send comfort to us. Why? So that the comfort will go through us. God's going to comfort us and he's going to provide for us and he's going to bless us with resources and bless us with, with, with some advantages in life. And he's going to bless us with some comfort, not so we can just be content getting all the comfort in life saying, man, I got it good. No, so we can in return comfort others. Let's be a church that's always willing to reach out into this community and show the love of Jesus and show the compassion of Jesus and be willing to come alongside some people and say, hey, I'm going to help carry your burden. Not just a consumer mindset, what's in it for me? How can I literally help carry what you're going through? Galatians 6.2 says, bear ye one another's burdens. The, The word bear really actually means in the Greek to carry upon oneself. To carry the burden. How can we handle a situation with care? How can we handle hardship? Or maybe someone else is going through a hardship. Well, come alongside them and help them carry it. Carry the burden. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's, that's why we're here, for the edification of the saints. James chapter 1, verse number 27 says this. Pure religion, if you want to know what this is really all about, if you want to know what true religion is about, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, everybody say affliction, Affliction. and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so true compassion is the ability to demonstrate comfort to someone that will never be able to repay you. The fatherless and the widows. The idea and the connotation of that verse is to show love and to show comfort to someone that's never going to be able to show it back to you. It's a sacrifice. John Wooden, uh, coach at UCLA, he said, you can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. And so Elijah's teaching us something this morning. When someone has a broken heart, it should be mended softly. A lot of times we want to give someone the right answer and what we know, what the Bible says, and we want to beat them over the head with it, but sometimes it needs to be handled with care and compassion and gentleness. And so a broken heart should be mended softly. Notice number three this morning. Our greatest resource in hard times is prayer. No matter what you're going through, whether it's a season of blessing, whether it's a season of adversity, the greatest resource that we have is prayer. We have a lot of great resources in life. There are uh, good churches, there are good books, there are good counseling, doctors and places you can go, but the greatest resource you have in this life is your relationship with Jesus. It is our access to God in prayer. And so Elijah, in this moment of difficulty, in this season of adversity, how does he handle it with care? Well, he handles it with prayer. He goes to God in prayer. Why? Because prayer is not our last resort. Prayer is our highest appeal. A lot of times we treat prayer like the last person picked on a dodgeball team at recess. Once we try everything else, then then maybe we'll pray, right? Elijah said, in this moment, I'm going to go straight to the Lord in prayer. And he prays such a great prayer. I think we can learn a lot of things from this prayer. And I want you to see a few characteristics of this prayer that, that Elijah prays. First, it was a private prayer. It was a private prayer. Notice what it says in verse number 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, and he carried him up into the loft, where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. So Elijah, he leaves the downstairs, he, he, he leaves the widowed woman, and he goes upstairs to where he was staying. And that's where he prayed. 
And I believe that Elijah took him up there because Elijah had previously spent hours and hours praying in that spot, in that location. That was his refuge. That was his place of prayer. I wonder this morning, do you have a place of prayer? Do you have a spot? Do you have a refuge where you can go and spend time with prayer? Maybe uh, it's a desk. Maybe it's going on a walk. Maybe it's riding a bike. But do you have a spot or a place where you can go to God in prayer? And a lot of times we're not consistent in our prayer lives because we don't have a spot. We don't have a place where we can go and pray. And so Elijah, he goes and he prays in private. Now Elijah's going to go on. He's going to pray some great uh, public prayers. But I love that his great public prayers were preceded by private prayers, by his personal one-on-one relationship with God. Public prayers are of little worth unless they are founded on or followed up by private praying, E.M. Bounds. And so this was a private prayer, but also was a fervent prayer. Look at what he says in verse number 20. And he cried. Everybody say cried. He cried unto the Lord. It says it again in verse number 21 that he cried to the Lord. This was a passionate, fervent prayer. He said, Lord, uh, I really need you in this moment. He was, he was crying before the Lord. This was a fervent, passionate prayer. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was one of us. He was just an ordinary individual. But why could he do extraordinary things? Well, watch what it says. Elias was a man subject unto like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. He was just one of us, but he knew how to pray. And I want to say this. The intensity of your situation should determine the intensity of your prayers. If you're going through a difficult season, then you need to pray earnestly and pray passionately and connect with God because he is our greatest resource in times of struggle. I love what the Bible says in Luke chapter 5 verses, uh, Luke chapter 11 verses 5 through 8. It says, and he said unto them, Jesus is speaking, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine is in his journey and has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Okay? If someone shows up at your door at 12 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock in the morning, and they are banging on your door asking for a few pieces of bread, you are probably not going to be very excited to see them, right? If Matt comes to my house tonight in the middle of the night, he's banging on the door saying, Hey, can I get a Pop-Tart? I am going to say, Matt, get away from me right now. I am trying to sleep. My kids are in bed. Don't bother me, right? How many of you would be in the same boat? Like, why are you coming to me right now? If it's not an emergency, don't come to me right now. How many of you love your sleep? How many of you are sleeping right now? (laughs) Jesus said, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. He's not going to help him because he's his friend, right? That friendship doesn't mean anything right now. Yet because of his importunity, everybody say importunity. That's a fun word. It means persistence. It means persistence to the point of annoyance. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Persistence to the point of annoyance. How many of you have children? Because he is his friend, no. Yet because of his importunity, his persistence, will he rise and give him as many as he needeth? What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is saying, hey, if a friend comes to your house in the middle of the night and is asking for food, you're not going to give it to him based on your friendship. You're going to give it to him because he's annoying you. 
because he's persistent. He keeps on just knocking at the door until you come. He's not going to stop knocking until you come. What is Jesus saying? That's how Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to come to him with this importunity, with this persistence that says, Jesus, I need help. God, I need help in this situation. And we weary him with our words. A lot of times we think maybe we're, we're, we're bugging God by how many times we approach him, but the opposite is true. In fact, D.L. Moody said this, some people think that God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. But the way to trouble God is not to come to him at all. Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 and 7 says this, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Yet uh, ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Ye that make mention of the Lord, if you call yourself a, a, a person of prayer, if you're going to pray, keep not silence. Keep on praying. It's difficult. It's hard. That's why Paul said labor with me in prayer. Labor is a word of work. You got to work at it. But keep not silence and give him no rest. Give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Hey, keep on asking. Keep on going to God. No, how many, no, no matter how many times you've been asking for a job or asking for an opportunity or asking for resources or asking for comfort, just keep on going. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking because Jesus loves an importunate prayer. He loves a persistent prayer that says, I'm just going to keep on going until God answers my prayer. I want to keep on boldly, fervently approaching him. This prayer life was also authentic. Everybody say authentic. authentic. Watch what Elijah does here in verse number 20. And he cried unto the Lord. So he was passionate. He was fervent. He cried unto the Lord and he said, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? I love how Elijah prays a very real prayer. He's very authentic. He doesn't try to like uh, make this prayer very fancy and use big words and, and make it sound really uh, great. He just says, God, what's going on? Why... Is he dead? What, what, what's going on here? Why is this happening? He doesn't understand. And I love that he's very real and authentic. Sometimes we go to God in prayer and we try to make it so polished that it's just not like we're not even talking to a normal person. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard someone pray and it's like, who are they talking to? Like, we need to pray authentically before the Lord. It's okay to be honest and open before God. He knows what you're thinking anyways. If you're confused, if you're tired, if you're upset, tell him. Don't come to him and say, I know I'm not supposed to be upset, so we'll go try to fake it. I remember one time I was out with my dad. He was traveling, and he was preaching at a church, and I was in elementary school, and uh, he preached this, uh, this revival meeting, and it was a packed place, and, and uh, there was a lot of pastors there and different people, and I was in elementary school, and I was sitting in the back, and my dad got done preaching, and, and uh, he was giving this uh, altar call, this invitation, and he said, if you want to accept Christ, you can come forward. If you want to make a decision for the Lord, you can come forward. And I remember I was in elementary school, and I left my seat, and I started going forward. My dad, he got down off the stage, and he came, and he saw me, and he said, Matt, do you want to make a decision? Do you want to get saved? Like, why'd you come forward? And I said, Dad, I'm tired. Can we go home now? <laughs> and that was what was on my heart. <laughs> I was tired. I was like, man, can we go home now? Like, come on, let's go. You know, God's okay with us being open and honest before him. I love that Elijah just says, God, I don't get this right now, but I'm going to still go to, go to you in prayer. I'm going to still talk to you. This was an authentic prayer. But I love, my favorite part about this prayer is that it was a bold prayer. It was a bold prayer. Verse number 21 says this. And he stretched himself upon the child three times. Now, 
a lot of commentators say that, you know, they kind of argue what this was about and, and kind of an unusual message, uh, method to stretch yourself over the child. But this is the same thing that Elisha did uh, later on in the Bible. And, and a lot of commentators say they did this to, for a picture of warmth and trying to give warmth to the body. But he stretched his, his body out over the child, verse number 21. And he cried unto the Lord again. And he said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. Talk about a bold prayer. Now, this was an extra bold prayer because there was no precedent this was the first resurrection recorded in Scripture. So Elijah was not basing this prayer on something that he had seen or observed. He wasn't saying, God, just like you raised Moses back from the dead, I'm praying that you raise this child from the dead. He wasn't saying, God, just like you had done this in the past, and God, just like I read it in your word. He had no manual on how to pray. But he said, God, I'm praying that you will bring this child back to life. Talk about a bold prayer. There was no precedent. He was just praying a bold, passionate, and fervent prayer. He really believed that God could do it and God could bring this child back to life because he had faith. God, I believe that you can do it. A lot of times our prayers are so small. When God wants us to increase our faith and start praying prayers that would actually scare us. Start praying some prayers that will make us a little bit worried if they actually get answered. A lot of times we pray prayers and God answers them and we don't even think about it. God, give me safety as I travel. He gives us safety and we don't even think about it. What about praying something so obnoxious, something so audacious that if it actually happened, everyone had to say, wow, God did that. Elijah said, there's no precedent here, but I believe that God can do something great. I believe that he can raise this child from the dead. I'm believing and I'm praying for great things in this community. I really believe that God has called us here for a purpose, for a reason, for such a time as this. I believe that the field is white, ready to harvest. I believe there is much people in this city that need the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And I want to pray some bold prayers and ask God to do something that only God can do. It's my prayer that no honest history could be written about the Inland Empire without the mentioning of Rock Hill Baptist Church. That we're going to pray some bold prayers. That we're going to be a part of a movement of God. That God can do something special and miraculous in our midst. That we have to point to him. And so Elijah, he prays this bold prayer. God, would you bring him back? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, everybody say boldly, boldly, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. One last thought this morning, we'll be done. Last reminder, when going through hardship, when handed hardship, remember that God can use a trial to spark a revival. Remember that God can use a trial to spark a revival. God used this trial this situation in two great ways. First, he brought new life. Notice what it says in verse number 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. There was a revival that took place. The child was brought back. God did a great and miraculous work. There was a revival that took place. See, there was purpose for this suffering. There was purpose behind the pain. This was redemptive suffering. It was suffering for the purpose of a resurgence. It was suffering for a purpose of redemption. Is not that what Jesus did for us on the cross? That he endured the cross 
that, that he went through suffering and pain. Why? So that you could be given new life? So that we could have a relationship with him? It's redemptive suffering. This morning, if you're sitting here, you never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never had that moment where you've prayed and asked Christ as your savior. Today could be the day of salvation for you. Jesus endured the cross. He, he, he endured the shame. He, he endured the contradiction of sinners. Why? So that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could have new life. There was a revival. Maybe you are a Christian this morning. You have prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior, but you're going through a season of adversity. You're going through a season of struggle, a season of difficulty. And maybe God wants to use that trial in your life to bring about a revival in one area or another in your life. Maybe God wants to breathe new life into your marriage. Maybe God wants to breathe new life in your family. Maybe he wants to bring a revival in your business, in your relationships. See, God can use a trial to bring about a revival, redemptive suffering. There's a purpose. And not only did he bring you life, but he brought validation for this widowed woman. Notice what it says in verse 23. And Elijah took the child and he brought him down out of the chamber into the house and he delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, thy son liveth. Imagine that moment. The widow had been going through this tragedy. She was crying. She was in pain. She was hurting. She had a broken heart. Elijah said, see, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, now. Everybody say now. Because of this, now, by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She says, I believe. Now, her faith was created when she trusted God with the oil and flour. You remember that? That's when her faith began. But now her faith is cemented. There's validation to her faith now. See, sometimes God wants us to go through a season of pain, through a season of difficulty to cement our faith to where we can say, now I know why I went through this. Now I, now I get it. A lot of times we want to see it in the moment, in the midst of the difficulty. God, give me some answers. But if we're faithful and we just keep our eyes on Jesus and we just keep on going, we can come back and say, now I understand why God had me go through that. And faith can bring about validation. Life is gonna hand us all kinds of different situations. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're holding something that's been handed to you. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe it hurts. You're holding a difficult situation and I would say that God wants you to handle that with care because he can use it for his glory. There's purpose in it. A lot of times we fumble, we get upset, we point the blame, we we blame people and we get upset and we do all kinds of different things when God wants us to handle it with care. When I was teaching that bus class and I wanted to quit, I couldn't handle it. There was fights, police were showing up. Everyone's like, Matt's the worst teacher ever. I wanted to quit, but I decided I was just gonna get, 
jump all in. I was going to get invested and I was going to go crazy to try to get these kids' attention. They never listened to me, but I thought I'm going to get them to listen to me. So I came up with all kinds of ideas. I started visiting each one of those kids in their houses and I would bring McDonald's to them and I would bring them meals and try to create a relationship with them and make a connection with them. And I would show up and I would play the craziest games you can possibly think of in that bus class to try to get, uh, try to get the teens uh, 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 having fun and trying to get them to, to uh, open up a little bit. I'd play the craziest games. I'd give away the craziest prizes. I'd do anything to keep them quiet. I remember one time I brought in an Xbox box, not an Xbox, just an empty box of an Xbox. And I said, whoever's the quietest today is going to win this prize. They listened so well. And then they were so disappointed at the end. I did all kinds of things, whatever I could do to get their attention. You know, little by little, little by little, some teens started to respond. I remember there was a kid named Leo. He would come and sit on the front row. And while everyone else was fighting and throwing punches, he was just looking at me. And I remember Leo, he really had a desire for the word of God. And, and he, he came up to me one time and he said, he said, hey, Matt, I heard you talking about a teen camp. I was wondering if I could go to teen camp. And I said, Leo, that would be awesome if you went to teen camp. You know, this Christian summer camp. I said, that'd be amazing. And he said, I don't have any money. My parents can't afford for me to go. And I said, Leo, I'm going to find a way for you to go. And so we worked on it. We figured out how Leo could come into the church. And he came in. He pulled some weeds for a few days and earned his way to go to summer camp. And, and he went to summer camp. And I remember the last night of summer camp, during the invitation, Leo went forward and he prayed and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I remember after that, everyone was so excited. Leo just got on fire for God. I remember not long after that, uh, we made a visit to his parents' house. His parents prayed and accepted Christ as a Savior. I remember not long after that, Leo got baptized. I remember Leo's life changed forever. And I'm glad that when I thought I can't handle this and wanted to give up, that I reconsidered. And then I said, how can I handle this with care? Now, it wasn't me. It was because, all because of God. But God is going to hand us some things in life that we've got to say, you know, I'm going to do my best to handle this for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He shouts in our pains. I love that the Bible says in Psalms 119, verse number 71, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Hey, it's a good thing for us to be afflicted. It's a good thing for us to experience adversity. Why? So that we can learn his statutes. So that we can learn what God wants us to learn in a season of difficulty. We're going to conclude this time with a time of invitation, a time of response to God's word this morning. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never prayed and accepted Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, Matt, this morning, nobody's looking around, but this morning God spoke to me. I've been handed something. I've been handed a season of trial, a season of hardship. I've been handed something. Matt, would you pray for me that I would handle this with care? God spoke to me today about handling what's been handed to me. If that's you, can I see your hand? God spoke to me today about handling this with care. It's awesome, you can put your hands down. There's purpose in our pain. 
it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. God wants us to learn some things and grow through seasons of struggle. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're not going through a season of trial now. Maybe, maybe God has been blessing you. You're, you're, you're in a good rhythm in life right now. I want to encourage you to step up alongside someone else and carry their burden for them. Let's handle their situation with care and let's go and, and mend a broken heart softly and let's go and carry the burdens of one another, bear one another's burdens. How many can say, Matt, would you pray for me that I'll be the type of church member that is a carrier, that I'll help carry the burdens of one another. If that's you, can I see your hand? I want to be a carrier. My hand's up. I want to be a carrier. You can put your hands down. The most important thing in life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And there might be someone here today, and we're almost done. You guys, it's a little bit warm in here. We're almost done, but maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'd like to know that. That's the most important decision that we can make in life. And what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to lead in a simple prayer. And if you'd like to pray and accept Christ, I would encourage you, you can do it along with me. I'm not going to point anybody out. You're not going to have to stand up. It's a private decision between you and the Lord. The Bible says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's not about being a good person. It's not about going to church. And maybe you're sitting here and you've been trusting in the wrong thing. Maybe you've been trusting in your own work. Maybe you've been trusting in your church attendance or, or something of that nature. And the Bible says in Titus, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his mercy that he saved us. And I love what the Bible says in Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you're sitting here and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die today, if you'd spend an eternity in heaven or hell, you're just not exactly sure. I have good news and I have great news for you this morning. You can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about faith, asking, and believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you'd like to pray uh, this prayer with me, I would encourage you to do so. If you've never accepted Christ, you can pray along with me and repeat after me in your heart. Father, thank you for this day. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. And I understand that there is a price to be paid for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sins as a payment. Jesus, I believe that you rose again from the dead. And today I want to accept you into my life and accept you as my savior. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for saving me. I love you in Jesus' name. Everybody's heads bows and eyes are closed still, but how many of you could just say in this moment of privacy, how many of you could say, Matt, I prayed along that prayer with you. I prayed and I accepted Christ. I, I prayed that with you. Can you raise your hand up just so I can see it? Thank you. Who said I prayed it? It's okay. Keep it up for a second. Who said I prayed that prayer?